Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to this edition of V-Radio. I'm your host, Neil Kiernan. If this is your first time tuning in, please check out my archives where you'll find other shows that I've done with documentary filmmakers, senators, presidential candidates, etc., etc. Um, this is a left-leaning activist podcast, but I also have um, guests on that are not necessarily in agreement with me about everything, so be aware of that. Um, and at this time, I'm not accepting or rather I'm not pushing any donations. Um, if you are interested in supporting the show on Patreon, you may, but uh, with things going on with the COVID situation, uh, that's not really a priority to me right now. Uh, in the description for the show, you'll find various links to ways that you can follow my podcast uh, and my activist efforts. I'm also going to be switching a lot more, or I'm trying anyway, to switch a lot of more of my efforts towards YouTube. I do have some videos. Just be aware of the fact I'm not anywhere near as good at video editing as some, you know, YouTube personalities. But uh, my guest today actually is Aaron Hawkins, also known as Storm Clouds Gathering on YouTube. Um, Aaron and I became friends in some unusual circumstances years ago, and um, I've since then become a big fan of his work and his channel. And his website is actually also linked in the description of my podcast. Um, welcome, Aaron. Hey. <laughs> so um, today our topic is going to be discussing uh, specifically how uh, the activism that is currently going on in some way is, in my, at least in my view, and I, I think Aaron agrees, connected in a lot of ways to things that went on way back when, uh, at least I know when I started activism, I can't remember, Aaron, how long you've been at this, but I think it, it goes back to the 10 years. 10 years for you. It's about, I think it's about the same for me for the, the whole Ron Paul revolution thing was a, something that got a lot of people started, but I was also part of Occupy um, and been a left-leaning well, activist. I've been doing it, the channel prior to mm-hmm. that. I did stuff on the street, basically like you do posters and that kind of stuff and rallies and all that kind of stuff. But, and I did the Ron ah. Paul stuff. I, I still believed in Ron Paul. So I was a delegate. Yeah, I went through that phase as well, and in in the long run, I obviously have moved on, but I still feel that there are a lot of things that he genuinely did that were good um, for activism and bringing people into awareness. And ironically, the topic today, um, discussing the Patriot Act and the legislation that he brought a lot of attention to at that time period is still relevant even to left-leaning activism now. Um, I think that... relevant, yeah. I think what's so dangerous about this new generation is that they don't have the memory of all the laws that have been passed and, and the fact that the left was the, the opposition at that stage and those laws were being passed. And then they got conditioned to accept those laws under Obama because they, they found themselves defending him and basically not talking about the, the, the power grabs he was taking even in addition to the, the Patriot Act. It really expanded things through the NDAA 2012, for example, which gave the military the right to detain anybody anywhere in the world. I mean, if, if people are scared about Trump, like really, they've given him a weapon he hasn't even used yet. Absolutely. And I think that's the funny thing is, is back then we, we were expecting it to be coming into effect, you know, much sooner. I, I think that a lot of us were expecting, I, I remember particularly back then that the we all expected them to, to turn off the Internet or uh, as independent journalists in particular, we're always joking about how, you know, we're probably on a terrorist watch list, you know, are they going to limit the internet? And 
Um, one of the things that I think I remember saying back then that was kind of in contradiction to what a lot of other people were thinking is like, no, I don't actually think they're going to do that. I think they could. I think that they're just going to learn how to best manipulate that medium to be yet another way of controlling everything. Um, and that I think honestly is part of what's going on. But um, so but it, but go ahead. It's, it's actually time is actually useful for certain things. Like if you, just pass a law right, and then right away use it, then it's going to be challenged. But if you pass a law and allow it to sit there for a long time and get people accustomed to the idea that you're never going to use it, people get complacent and they accept it. And especially if the next president is a totally other side of the fence, then you've got two sides who defended the position equally. Like the Bush people, the people who voted for Bush, like my father, and the people who voted for Obama have both defended these encroachments, these new laws that give the, the police and the military these totalitarian powers and surveillance that we most people don't even think about. But Edward Snowden, for example, exposed that, that Twitter and Facebook and Google were all giving direct access to the data to the NSA. And that's still valid right now. And it's, right. it's, people are all scared. Oh, Trump's going to do something. Who the fuck gave him that, that power? You know, I mean, he hasn't even used it, really. What's scary is he's not the worst that could come. I mean, it could get a lot worse. And people no, absolutely. Have been so... And the answer to who gave him that power is actually, ironically, the Bush administration, which has fallen in support of Biden. <laughs> you know. And it's just crazy. Like the, the modern left is, is, is like batshit out of their mind. I see these guys acting like George Bush, George W. Bush is like cute or something. Like he, like right. he does paintings and. And, and, and it, it, it makes, like, you know, gentle comments about things that are happening. And they're like, oh, he's so sweet. Oh, oh, <laughs> did you forget he killed over a million people in Iraq? Uh, seriously? I mean, what the? F I'm sorry, but this, I mean, this, this generation seems like they have no context for history except for the history that they want to focus on. No, that's absolutely the case. And, it, and I think that's part of the problem is that you can't seem to communicate that to them. It's like even in Occupy, there are so many things I remember from Occupy that these people are not aware of, you know, understandings and, you know, just general conclusions that we came to in Occupy, which is absolutely a left leaning movement that these people are not aware of, that they don't understand, you know, um, and you try to share it with them. And then, you, you know, it, it's I, I think that there's so much emotional investment in things. And I think people believe now that I'm, I'm picking on the left too much. And so you get accused of being a fascist or a right winger or a Trump supporter. And I think you've known me long enough to know that I'm certainly not a right winger. I'm definitely not a fascist and I'm not a Trump supporter, but that's how polarized things are. It is, uh, as one friend of mine put it, that this situation has become a religion complete with a crusade that has an inquisition that holds witch hunts to find blasphemers and heretics to excommunicate. Yeah. And that's if they don't just find you alone somewhere at a protest and beat you up because, you know, they, they, you know, that if they have that opportunity, they'll do it. But, um, but the, the reason I use that analogy is not just about devotion or fanaticism. It's due to the irrational nature of the conversations that you start to have when the, the logic and reason are just not necessary anymore. It's about re repeating the, um, the talking points that you are, that are approved and, and not repeating the ones that are not approved. But 
to, to get back to the, the, the main premise, you know, before we scare everybody off um, that I'm hoping <laughs> will listen <laughs> is that. No, um, no, 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 no. We, 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 before we, we should say, instead of saying it like that, because that's, like, that's presuming that we scare them off. If a person is feeling offended, you should call us and we'll just accept the call and we'll let you talk to us. And yeah, we'll our lines polite, are open. And it, <laughs> yeah, lines are open. So if you guys want to call in and argue I, with us, I'll, I'll be happy to bring you on. But you got to be productive. <laughs> um, yeah, it's impossible to offend me. So we, we should be able to, to have these kind of discussions. And, and, and really, honestly, I, I know things seem they're going a certain way. This is kind of what you know, always happens in society. You see the pendulum moving in a certain direction. That, you know, everybody's going this way. But what happens with the pendulum is it, it reaches the extent of, of its momentum, and it, and it has a reversal. And then the momentum starts in the opposite direction and because of the things, the effects of the actions in one direction. And this is what the left is really missing here. I mean, these pendulums have gone back and forth for years and years and years every time there's an election. You know, we, you know, after seeing one president screw things up enough, then people start going, well, maybe let's go over the other side. Yeah, that guy looks good. And then they get screwed over again, does the exact same things. A good example of that is Obama, right? Like, it seemed like he was left wing. But what's left wing about conquering Libya in 2011? Like, how is that supporting social justice, right? Well, and they, and they how, forget and that. How many, and how many brown people, how many brown people did Obama kill? And how come they're not calling him out? How come they're accepting his endorsement of Biden as if like, a war criminal endorsing a sexual predator is okay? But Trump, I mean, I mean, Trump is, yeah, yeah he's, he's an asshole. He's, 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 he's not an honest person. He's a despicable person. But has he killed more people than Obama or Bush? And this is like Bush, they, they, they're starting to rehabilitate him in the public eye. Like, oh, he's cute. He, he does paintings and things. Oh, yeah. He's like such a nice old man. He said, how many people did he kill in Iraq? How many people did, did Obama kill in, 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 in Libya and in Syria and in Ukraine? I mean, it's real... Death, destruction. They don't even think about Trump it like that. It, there's such a short memory um, in the activist movements now that it's astonishing to me. Um, and, and that's something I definitely miss about, you know, I mean, although not everybody at Occupy was really in the know either. It, you know, I just certainly didn't have to sell the idea that George Bush was a bad person back in the days of Occupy. But there are people who basically just think Obama's, you know, SHIT doesn't stink specifically because he happened to be a black president. Um, and there are a well, lot of people who more or less passed over it. Biden just by being his friend. You know, Biden is literally the quintessential white guy with a black friend. You know, <laughs> they say is, <laughs> he is, is a exactly. bad person. Right. You know, um, you know, but and they overlook the fact that he passed the crime bill. They overlook the fact that he was a segregationist. I mean, uh, but anyway, and everything, let me, every and, and every policy, every war that, that Obama engaged in that he smiled along with. He has responsibility for. You can't say that as a vice president, he had no say or no involvement in the toppling of Libya. And sure. that absolutely destroyed this country that had, it was a, had the third highest standard of living in all of Africa. And he destroyed it, left it a war zone. It's still being fought over right now. Right. You know, that's well, that's, fact. People Anybody are now like so any... tuned into themselves, they don't even think about it. Well, this yeah. is what we have to challenge. And this is what I basically I'm basically feeling for this next phase is that 
yeah, some of us have been silent for a while. I've been sitting there listening to this stuff, just watching it, because really, honestly, when you're dealing with the crowd, you have to, 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 to watch these things progress and develop when a new wave is coming in, because you understand it before you jump into it. But once you actually form this clarity about what's real, we need to actually be as aggressive as they are, but not in that same caustic, um, dishonest way that they are being. You know, basically, the, the left needs to be confronted. The new left needs to, be, needs to be confronted by the old left. And I think me and you represent the old left, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've been, I've been fighting Obama, um, Bush's wars. I was fighting Bush's wars, hanging up posters and arguing with family members and, and, and you know, going to protests and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, figure out the Internet. And I continued doing it through the Obama years, covering all the shit that he was doing, which he killed a lot of fucking people. Anybody who right. doesn't believe that needs to fucking check their, their, their history. I mean, go through, look at it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not even hidden. It's right there on the mainstream news. We were, we were funding in, in Syria. We were giving money and arms and training to known Islamic extremists who were killing people, who that became ISIS. Right. This is documented. You can look at it. You can watch it happening from 2012 all the way to the, to the point where it brings Russia into the, the picture. Right? No, I, I agree completely. But her, um, but, and that's why they needed to silence Tulsi Gabbard because she was bringing it up too. And she's not. She's really not strong enough to do it. Really, honestly, I've watched her. She folds. Mm-hmm. Like we need a, a generation of people who are, are taking. What, one thing that the, the, the far right, the reason the far right wins in these situations, when the left starts being like this, historically, the far right always kicks their ass. And the reason they always kick their ass is because they are much better at the aggressive side. You know, you, when you pick this, like, you look at what Antifa is doing, for example. You know, they, they're picking this fight and essentially, like, starting this kind of, you know, cultural war and acting like they can push the police around and, and all this, not realizing that the, most of the society wants law and order. They don't want their businesses burned down, all that kind of stuff. And that's actually what creates that shift to the right. When people see that, you know, the left represents chaos and destruction, and, 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 the, and the left is attacking the institutions of police and these kinds of things, it sets the stage for the right to come in and establish order. And if we don't want that to happen, the left needs to learn a lesson and not make, make the same mistakes. And part of that means some of the people who see this need to start being a little bit more gutsy about it. Like we need to not be apologetic. We need to be confronting these people because it really has stakes. And if you can be a little bit more like the right in your attitude in terms of calling out, but with the integrity of actually, like we need to be dealing with this in terms of what the consequences are. The way that people, the left is handling things right now is going to create a super right, an extreme right. It's already happening. I'm watching it develop. I mean, the momentum is shifting. So we're, we're, we're at the verge of empowering something horrific. Well, oh, absolutely. Let me let me go ahead and um, get this information out that was kind of the premise of what I wanted to get started with first, and then we'll move on. Um, so one of the things that changed in the Patriot Act after 9-11, that uh, the Patriot Act changed was just different definitions within the U.S. Code. Um, and one of them is the term domestic terrorism. 
domestic terrorism, according to, I'm now reading from Cornell Law School's website, uh, means activities that A, involve acts dangerous to human life that are a violation of the criminal laws of the United States or of any state, B, appear to be intended to I, or rather one, intimidate or coerce a civilian population, two, Mm. to influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion, or three, to affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction, assassination, or kidnapping, and C, occurs primarily within the territorial jurisdiction of the United States. So right now, there's a lot of activism going on uh, that I have watched in the left that is kind of cause for concern, because there's definitely an effort to intimidate, sorry, to intimidate or coerce the civilian population, meaning ours, yep. and to influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion. That's literally what's happening. We're being told, give us this or we're going to do this. They're openly saying, you know, if you want the burning and the rioting to stop, then you have to do what we say. And when you bring up peaceful solutions, you're shouted down. You know, you're literally told you're a bootlicker, you're a fascist, you know, or whatever, if you oppose any of the things that they're doing. And these things are kind of coupled with some interesting mind games. I mean, going back, ironically, once again, to the Patriot Act, it's, well, of course you support the Patriot Act. You're a patriot, right? You know, so then you have terms like Black Lives Matter. You either support Black Lives Matter or you don't or you don't feel black lives matter you know you're either anti you know you're either antifa and antifa means anti-fascist so if you don't support antifa then you're a fascist you know they create these dualities that you are you know you have to follow along with and it basically but, but one of the things you know, I don't you know it's helpful you know go ahead go ahead oh sorry no you go ahead I mean, one thing it would be it, it, one thing that would be very useful for, for to come to terms with and this is from speaking from experience, because I don't live in the United States, is that a lot of these dichotomies are really only in the United States. No one else in the world gives a fuck about all these things. Like, no one is thinking about these things, talking about these things. They're just looking at the United States like, wow, those guys are really losing it. Both of you, the left and the right. <laughs> really, really, really. I'm in a country that's black, a black country. The government's black, it's a majority black population. Basically, I, I, I can't even like, – I have some white friends, but most of the people I know are black. But it's not like the United States at all. It's very different. And there's reasons for that. The United States has a history where – in a lot of countries this happened – where basically black people were free from slavery, but they're still within the white system. Well, if you're in a country like this, they got their freedom. It's an independent country. It's not the same dynamics. All those ideas about whiteness and blackness don't make any sense if you just leave the United States and go see a country that's having a different composition of people. Here, the government is black. I am a racial minority. But what I can tell you is they treat everybody here with respect regardless of your color. They are actually colorblind. And this is one of those things that the left tries to do right now. If you try to say, I want to be colorblind, they say, well, that's just even racism. That's bullshit. And that's how, this is how we need to start responding to it. That's bullshit. 
because you would accept it if you were in a country with a, 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 a group that had a different skin color and they were accepting you, you would accept that, that generosity. Like, oh, it's great that they're treating me the same as they're treating everyone else. They're not treating me like a, a, an outsider. They're, they're being friendly with me. That's a good sure. thing. That's what we should want. Well, we need to focus main... on what we want to happen, not, not trying to condemn people and, and give them no way out, which is what they're doing. They're setting up this thing that, that actually only leads to race na- nationalism. It leads to people talking about creating whole nations somewhere else where they don't let anybody of the other color in. They're doing that in these things. They're segregating these discussions even, like where they're giving these presentations where it's only people of color allowed in the discussion and, or only white people allowed in the discussion because it's going to be something that's confronting white privilege or whatever. It, it, they're, they're setting up the exact thing that Martin Luther King was trying to disassemble. And they're, they're taking us backwards in society. They're undoing the progress made by these kinds of people who actually got people to start looking at just a person's abilities and their, and, and their, their, their heart and, and, just, and just to not judge them. That's what we want, well, right? Well, well you know, you I white agree with you. And that's, that's been kind of the lead up to all of this. But as far as to like what's relevant about the Patriot Act and all that just has to do with the fact that I'm watching is um, not only am I watching people slowly be radicalized to be more violent, I'm watching a, a serious effort on the part of the organizers of these protests and marches to try to get people to believe that the violence is effective, that violence is the only way, you know, um, that somehow specifically they're getting the changes they want because of the violence. And they're even being encouraged to frame it as an uprising, like, you know, as an insurrection, mm-hmm. you know, which literally it's I, like I'm watching I, them I, get encouraged to use that language. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I said I've listened to their speeches. I've actually listened, watched quite a few clips of these, these gatherings, and they are calling directly for an uprising. And these guys are, are conditioning their followers to kill. I, I have video in my possession of some of these guys bringing together, you know, this new strain of, of black nationalists. And the white nationalists exist, but right now the black nationalists, They've got some momentum, and they're going out in the street and they're doing these kinds of activities, bringing the semi-automatic weapons, just like the other guys on the other side are doing. And I'm listening to the things that they're saying, and they're talking directly about killing people. And, and they're, but they're, 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 they're being very careful to not directly say, go kill people. But they're laying out this narrative where they're saying, if somebody points a gun at you, kill them. Well, and I've watched how you get a normal kid, like, you know, a much more mild, moderate kid, you know, like I actually have a friend who I worked with for a long time and she started out as a very, you know, intelligent, very, you know, um, promising college student. And then she started attending protests. And then I watched over the course of the time that I knew her, I would say over a period of about eight months as she just became more and more militant, fanatical, irrational, you know, with every passing day to the point that she went from, hey, I went to a Black Lives Matter protest to saying things like, you know, I'm either going to have a black baby or I'm going to get sterilized because white people shouldn't reproduce. Like, <laughs> that was the end game, mind you. This is when I stopped talking to her. Um, you know, but the, the point is, is that, that there's an effort to take people to extremism that is going on. And that's the radicalization. Like, I actually had to go back and brush up on a lot of these pieces of legislation. For example, I couldn't remember if the Homegrown Terrorism Act 
had passed. Apparently it passed Congress and then never passed the Senate and it's just been sitting in limbo ever since. But, you know, I guess it's good for us for that. But like there were efforts by the government specifically to study homegrown terrorism and how it comes about, how people get radicalized through the Internet. Like that was all the research, all the research I stumbled on. I was like, oh, okay, well, this thing didn't pass. Back then, I was afraid it was going to, you know, that we still got the NDAA. You know, I don't think that a lot of these people recognize that even with the things that are currently in effect right now, that um, the government can be monitoring them if it looks like they're involved with domestic terrorism. Um, There was a couple of instances. This is what people actually really don't realize is they're doing bulk collection of data constantly. This is what Edward Snowden exposed. They're just sucking that data up, and they have been developing AI algorithms to go through and do pattern checks. And that shit is valid for years. You can go back and look through everything a person's been doing through social media. And you, these guys, a lot of people, I remember when it's first stuff, people talking about these powers, they're like, well, but they can never go through all that information. Yes, but with AI, you can. You know, and Palantir, for example, is a company um, created by Peter Thiel, who's a Trump supporter. And you know, he was also, you know, basically profiting off of these new security laws, basically. So he's created the software that makes it really easy for law enforcement and military and um, alphabet soup agencies to take these massive amounts of data that they have available through credit card information, bank information, social media use, um, telephone use, anything that touches internet, anything that touches telecommunications, anything that touches payments all over the world, including businesses, they have access to those streams. And it, people assume just because it's such huge amounts of data that they wouldn't be able to, to deal with it. But AI makes it actually possible. We have now technology that enables us to do filters using techniques that humans couldn't come up with, just based on training and algorithms and then grouping information together that actually makes it actually pretty easy. Once they figure out you know, how they want to group things, they can figure out everywhere you've been, all the people you're connected to, where you're going to be next. You've laid out a pattern for them. And so really all this stuff, it's, just, it's, it's setting up for a reversal where the public will be sick of it and they'll be begging for law and order and somebody will make it happen. And then they just activate the law when, it, when it's popular. popular. Right. They're, going, they're waiting for it when it's popular. And Antifa right now is helping that get closer because Antifa is creating an, an antipathy, like a, a real hatred building. You can see it. And, and it's building in, in the, the most dangerous sectors, it's starting with the, the police and military. Like you, you antagonize them and talk down on them and you know, burning a flag and you know, saying death to America, which I have video also of these guys chanting death to America, literally all the, the time. Streets. And, and, and this is, does not go unnoticed. The, the right is spreading this stuff far and wide. Just because people, the people on the left are not looking at their blogs does not mean that the right is not being effective. The right is actually being much more effective right now. And for some time now, I've been warning about this since 2013. In the beginning, when I first started warning about it, people were like, yeah, whatever. you're exaggerating. I'm like, no. No, 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 no. I'm watching this start right now. Building. And that's what put Trump in power. That, that, that was the initial yep. backlash that put him in power. But yep. it is not done yet. People think it's like, oh, it's about to go back the other way. No, nope. it's about to go farther. 
And yeah. regardless, I mean, if, if, even if Biden won, if Biden won, it would be like civil war. But then if, if Trump wins, it's going to be like civil war. I mean, you guys, are, the, the United States, it's really a country on a trajectory to civil war. Well, and that, the, that's the question a very then, scary thing for a lot of people, but that's that's the reality of what those kinds of approaches lead to. Well, and it's also kind of a question of making. I think some of these people do think they want civil war, but as something that I've pointed out repeatedly, if such a thing were to happen, it's not going to be what they think. And I, I think that's what uh, concerns me. Is and you know, this is one of the things that you get laughed at for, you know. But I pointed out to them, I'm like, the, the civil war that you think could happen, not not you, obviously, I'm referring to the people I'm arguing with, you know, is not even remotely feasible. Like the civil war in the United States was government forces. Fighting other government forces, wait, 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 they had an argument. Wait, you meant to see revo- the, the, rev- the revolutionary war. You mean? No, I mean the little civil war, you know, fought between the north and the south. Um, oh, was really government forces okay. fighting other government forces, and we don't oh, have right, right, that. Right. Okay, kind I'm going to show you Right. Um, so okay, the yeah. point that I'm getting at is just to say that, but we don't but have you, that you kind of support. That, okay. There's no support from the other half of the military. There's no support from the other half of the police. You, we couldn't have a Wait, civil so war. You're, like that. you're saying that they, they you're saying that they, they actually think that it would be like the old civil war. Like, well, I've never heard yeah. that. Like, actually, that's, that's well, when they say things, really? I mean, well, what else could they mean? That that I guess what I'm getting at is that they. Oh, what else do they? Could they mean that? I, they they may they think mean? they mean that there's going to be an insurrection, or you know, that they're going to have some kind of a I don't know a guerrilla war uprising. But a lot of things have changed in technology and in particular, but you know, if there was going to be any kind of successful uprising against the United States government, it would require the support of, of a significant part of the police and a significant part of the military. And the left has neither, yeah. you know, like yeah. at and, all. and they're making it worse. And this right. is the thing that right, we, I, I would say that's, that's the new left, how they're fucking things up. Really? Honestly, I spent years, I, I basically was coming from the left, and I, I created a, a channel, I took an angle to find a way to talk to the right. And and <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just taking a moment. Okay. Well. <laughs> the thing is, what people are not realizing is that what societal change is about is about the momentum of society, about making the people move in a direction. And, and you don't achieve that by pushing people away and saying, I condemn you, I hate you, I dislike you, you're shit. That doesn't work. The ultimate way to shift someone in another direction is to actually pretend like you are them. Actually, but, it, but I did it in a sincere way because the truth is, I was raised in an ex- extremely conservative Christian family, and when I was a child, I was conservative. I, I watched Rush Limbaugh, but then I had a radical shift and I became very, 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 very far left on a lot of ideas. But at the same time, I was out doing homesteading stuff, and a lot of these guys were into you know, survivalism and all these kind of things. So I wanted to talk to them, work with them right now while they were against Obama to help them see the principles of why Obama was really dangerous 
and then connect it to what Bush did and show actually that, you know, this is not, they didn't start with Obama. Bush has been doing this too. But now they know I'm on, on their side. So they're, they're looking at it like, wow, that's, that's crazy. You, you mean Bush was also a criminal? Like, he, this is not a liberal trying to tell me something. Ooh, I might have to listen to this. This is kind of crazy. I got well, a lot and- of people to listen to me about ideas they would never listen to before because I was not presenting it from a position of attacking them. I was, I was blurring the line of who is us and them and making us first. Because if you make us, if you can, if you can, if you can define the us between you and the people you're trying to talk to, then they're actually willing to work with you. If you have some grain of truth, you can be able to contradict them on some things if they trust you enough to know that you're on their side. We want the same things. You know, we don't, we want to, we want to be able to raise our kids and, you know, have a, a beautiful future. And, you know, we disagree about some things. So let's talk about that. And, and then you have the ability to actually do something. But if, if you antagonize the people you're trying to talk to, it has the opposite effect. And, and particularly with the police and military, this is crucial. And this is why a big part of what we did, like we built that bridge with the left and the right. And we built the relationship with the police and military. I would talk to them directly in my channel and I would speak to their conscience and urge them to make a different choice. And that can be really powerful. We actually saw results. We, we actually saw soldiers do things that were technically illegal, like hanging up a sign in front of their face, covering their face, but in uniform, speaking out about what the United States was doing in Syria, for example. Well, no, I agree with you completely. And I had a similar um, effect you know, because I did my time as a libertarian, for example, I was able to communicate with them a lot better. Um, you know, and a lot of my friends, you know, I still have listeners from the libertarian side of things, even though my show is not right-leaning libertarian anymore. But it's largely because of that. You gain their respect also for being honest and sincere. But one of the things that I don't think they understood, you know, was in 2016, when Trump won, a lot of those people basically didn't recognize that just because you have successfully managed to get somebody to stop engaging with you does not mean that they suddenly agree with you. It means that they don't want to talk to you anymore. And so they would shout down opposing viewpoints. They'd pull fire alarms at Ben Shapiro's speeches. You know, they would, they would do things to deplatform people, to cut off their ability to talk instead of engaging with the things that they were saying. And they believed that doing all of these things somehow meant they were winning, when in reality, they really just turned people off. And those people just stopped engaging with you. They, they didn't change their minds. Um, there was an excellent uh, video by uh, the guy, like, basically plays a character named Jonathan Pye. And the whole point behind him is that he's supposed to be a journalist, you know, that is being caught on a hot mic, so to speak, saying what he really thinks about the news. But he does a video called President Trump, How and Why, and he just goes off on the fact that not everybody who voted for Trump is a sexist or a racist or a misogynist, you know, um, and he just, everything the guy said was, was spot on. Parodies can be good like that. Um, and, but he, did, he came to the point that people don't recognize, and he said the left has lost the art. You can't debate with people anymore. You can't communicate with them. And... The idea that you're going to shout down or peer pressure or yell labels and slurs at people 
to convince them of things, that will work on the sheep. It isn't going to work on anybody who doesn't already agree with you. And then, so what the left does is they essentially put themselves in their perfect little bubbles with their um, echo chambers, you know, where everybody agrees with them. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Because there is actually some power in in this condemnation stuff where they do recruit, they, they are recruiting, they are getting more submission by using this social pressure, um, social conformity principle, you are able to get the weakest members of society to conform. And that gives them the false sense that they are winning because they do have these battles where they're you know, getting the concessions that they want from, from people. And they are getting people who come in and start with being contradicting and they end up just you know, folding and starting to repeat the same thing. And that gives these kinds of movements who engage in this mistake false sense of winning and that's what leads to, to their ultimate downfall because they don't realize because, because they're seeing the results of you know pressure having some impact because it does have an impact i mean to to to, to socially shame somebody is very powerful however eventually there's the law of diminishing returns and, and then the, eventually the the pendulum swings the other direction because people start to talk among themselves and if you're Condemnations, your system of, of, of ostracizing people is not fair, not logical, and is, is actually ridiculous. Eventually, the people who get put in the out group start talking, and they start putting things together. And then a momentum starts building. This is what is happening right now. And if the left doesn't see this, they're in for some serious, serious rude awakenings because it's happening. It's, it's been happening for a long time, but it's, it's at a stage right now that it, when the next phase comes, it's going to shock them. They're not going to be prepared for what happens. You know, they think they're on this upward arc. No, 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 no. The right hasn't even flexed their muscles, not even flexed it. Well, they, that's the other thing we talk about their belief that they're winning is that they're getting away with a lot of rioting and looting and like you were talking about people, you know, talking about bringing harm and all that. And I think I told you about the screenshot I have of my argument with a member of Antifa who claimed to be uh, a Iraq war veteran who was training revolutionaries and was telling me that, you know, he and his associates are fighting the most militarized police force in history. And I said, you're not fighting the police. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, they haven't fought you. You know, he's like, well, I'm an Iraq war veteran and I was at the Battle of Ramadi and I know more about this than you do. And I said, "Okay, fine. So how many of the troops that you fought in Ramadi lined up across from you with non-lethal rounds with shields standing there in front of you, content to leave you alone as long as you didn't approach them? You know, like nothing you're talking about is in any way relevant to the idea of an actual battle. You know, the police haven't fought you yet. They haven't even fought the protesters with the rest of the non-lethal options available to them yet. The more mundane yeah. or the more technological. Not even close. They're being told they to stand down. The water cannons, you know, dogs, okay. uh, proactive use of billy clubs where they actually advance on you and beat you down. You know, that's... And then, even when, and then even when... And then when they just, even just go to conventional small arms, just pistols right. and rifles. Those protesters, they, they got these rifles. They think there's some badasses now. Have they been training for years and 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 years? Because I tell you, police and military guys, they come from a certain kind of family, most of them. I know because I came from one of those families. My father was military. And I'm telling you, police and military, 
you learn about guns, you learn how to, to, to fight, you learn how to, to shoot, all sorts of things from the time you're a kid. I got my first gun, I, I got a sniper rifle from World War, II, World War One sniper rifle when I was 10 years old. Right. Yeah, no, that's, and that's something even Malcolm X said um, when they were discussing, like back in the 60s, that there were people that he was associated with at the time who wanted to see an armed black uprising. And he said to them, he's like, you guys are out of your mind. Like, we will get our asses kicked. He's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You know, and that's, that's kind of comes back to like what I want to talk about eventually here is just like, who, who, who are the agitators and what are their motives? But before I even get to that, you know, like we're being up the scale, but I remember back in 2008, just the, the realizations we came to about the non-lethal options that are available that haven't been employed yet. You know, after you get past the stuff that we've been using since the sixties, like the water cannons and the dogs and the, you know, proactive use of batons, you, then you move on to the microwave cannon that the military, you know, like succeeded in getting to work all the way back in like 2010 that can make seven football fields uninhabitable by humans. So non-lethally make you feel like you're on fire. You know, like that's a legit real piece of technology that was perfected years ago. I mean, who knows what the things can yeah. do now? You know, um, the sonic cannons, they're starting to use some of the sonic stuff to get people to break up. But basically, one of the things that I think is going on here is that they don't recognize that they are being allowed to succeed. That, that's what it comes down to, is that the government hasn't pushed back on them at all. The police have been ordered not and, to and, 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 and if these guys really, and if these guys are scared of, of uh, rising fascism, they should be scared of what it means that they're not being allowed to succeed. Because really, honestly, the far right is enjoying this time. This is actually Absolutely. serving them. It's, it, it's in their interest to keep quiet. All those, remember the, the rise of the right we saw in Charlottesville? What, they, 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 they call, what was the name of that march? Um, I don't remember. Unite the right. Unite the right. Unite the right, yeah. Yeah. So those guys are still out there. And there's a lot more than that. Those are the guys that are the most brazen, the ones that actually go carry a torch down the fucking street, right? But there's a lot more than those guys. And right now, they understand it. It's in their interest to just let this shit simmer. They don't need to come out there and win. They're just letting a public opinion swing in their favor. And the left is making that happen. They're pushing public opinion to such a degree that extreme right actually has a platform now because they, they have a group who is frustrated, who is, is, is being talked down to, and no one's giving them the dignity to, of, of a rational argument, a rational discussion about it. Well, and yeah, and they've openly said that they don't want one. Like I was, so like even locally, because like there's a pattern that seems to happen. Like in one of the towns that I live next to, there's a little country town, a Black Lives Matter chapter sprung up. And initially it was much more peaceful, much more positive um, in its start. And then I watched quietly as it slowly radicalized and people got onto that group and started insisting on a more militant and angry and loud approach. Now, the town in question um, that is near mine, you know, they might have had some racism, but it would have been very quiet, private racism, 
You know, like I have a friend who I worked with for many years who grew up in that town who's black. And I asked him about it because I was curious because my kids were going to be growing up in the area, you know, that I didn't, you know, I wanted to make sure that my kids weren't going to be exposed to racists. And he's like, no, you don't have to worry about that here. He's like, it's never, you know, like I don't run into anybody. Like, you know, I don't get denied jobs. I don't, you know, get mistreated. You know, he's like, I'm sure there's probably some, you know, hick country bumpkin types who might have racist thoughts, but they don't ever express it publicly. You know, so the approach that, that this Black Lives Matter chapter had became very militant. And I realized, I'm like, so what you're going to do is you're going to get in the streets, you're going to be angry, you're going to spit slogans at people, you're going to insult people, you're going to get up in their faces and try to scare them and make them uncomfortable, which is literally what they said they wanted to do. Like, that's not even a paraphrase. And I'm like, now you're going to get these people that were closet racist be much more overt about it. And you're going to get people who initially would have never supported that idea to start to become more comfortable with it for the reasons you were mentioning earlier about, you know, wanting peace and, you know, just an order, essentially, as a major motive. You know, they don't realize that the approach that they're taking was literally likely to make the problem worse instead of better. And one of the things can that we, I can we, can we get specific about one of the... Oh, sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, let me just finish this one thing. Oh, you know, yeah, the yeah, exchange yeah. that I had with one of them was... You know, I said, well, how are you going to convince anybody to come to your side with these strategies? And they said, I don't want to convince people. I want them to be afraid. Like the guy literally said, I want them to be afraid to publicly speak. And I said, yeah, you really have no idea how this works, do you? Because as soon as you start making people afraid, you're asking for hate groups to show up and recruit. You know, that, that's exactly how it works. You know, I talked to the head of the Nazi hate, hate party. Is born of fear. Uh, hate, hate is born of fear. Hate is born of fear. Well, Absolutely. And you know, right I talk to the head of the Nazi party sometimes this is, this is, because he has a show on Blog Talk Radio, and he says, oh, we love this. This has been great for us. Like, we're getting all kinds of recruits. You know, people are much more interested in what we have to say. You know, the KKK is in the same situation. The KKK was so pathetic not long ago that they were actually thinking about removing racism from their platform because they couldn't get anybody to join. Now they're in, you know, now all of a sudden they're having a galvanization of memberships. And the left is blaming that on mm-hmm. Trump's election. And I'm like, no, that, that's not what it is. I, I was like, this is a direct reaction to you guys beating up random white people on the streets while chanting Black Lives Matter. This is a direct response to you essentially doing exactly what racists want you to do. You know, that's the thing that I kind, of, kind of comes to the prevalence here is that if the concern that you have is that your people are being wrongfully profiled as being violent criminals, the, the best way to combat that is not to go out and behave like violent criminals. Martin Luther King, exactly. you know, that's, and that's why Martin Luther King etched, etched a memory into the, the mind, the conscience of, of humanity, because he, he understood that they're trying to, to pre, pre, present to us as rioters and looters. So we're going to go in there and be fiercely peaceful. Right. The thing is, these people, they've tried to present this idea like he was weak, and the only reason it worked, the only reason the thing worked is because there was a backlash. But no, it took that peaceful, fiercely peaceful, walking into a situation and accepting violence, just like Gandhi had taught him. He learned from Gandhi by actually being brave enough to take the blows. They created the outrage. Yes, at a certain point, things got violent, and that added to pressure. And he got to calm that side down. 
because he had the moral high ground. He had that power. Both Gandhi and Martin Luther King had that. They were the leaders because they had shown that they were so courageous. They were willing to take blows, get knocked down, get fearless and dignified. Well, they had it that also moral authority to bring to the, the, real the, the chaos into are. order. It, well, it makes it very clear who the bad guys are. It, very clear. When you're watching exactly. old videos of 60s protests where the police are bashing these people on the head with, you know, with batons, sicking dogs on them and using the water cannons, and they are just passively sitting there on their knees accepting it, there is no question who the bad guy is. Zero question exactly. who the bad guy is. When you start burning things, looting things, Attacking random people, like the the video that was kind of the final straw for me that just came out was in Rochester, New York. They stormed into a cafe, turned over people's food, yeah. you know, through you know, through their drinks. Or, I mean, it literally looked like a group of Nazi brown shirts, you know, going into mm-hmm. like a Jewish cafe and turning everything over. And I'm like, do you think anybody who experienced that suddenly supports your cause more than they did before? You know, and no, but worse than that, that that that, that thing was it, it, it was feeding, and it's feeding this thing that's getting bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. These people are much more powerful than the left in terms of actual arms. This is right. what the left needs to understand. This is not a, a joke. You need these people to feel like they're your people. I mean, you guys, at least American citizens. So. You, you would hope if you're trying to move the United States in one direction and give up about humanity because the rest of the world is not even into this ridiculousness. Trust that. Okay? You're not starting a global revolution. Right now, you're, you're squabbling among yourselves and you, you look ridiculous. Really, from the outside, you do. There's no way around that. I, I, I've, I've watched you know, black women here in Dominica looking at what was going on and they're like, Whoa. you know, they, she was sitting like, well, I, I understand the police things. But this is crazy. They're burning their own their own towns down. This is crazy. Well, and it, that's, it, from the outside, it looks like crazy. Well, no, absolutely, and it, it helps that you have an outside the country perspective, and then you you also have a French perspective from having family there, you know. And I I don't think it's easy for these people to see outside of it because it looks so big to them when it's right in front of them that they don't see the bigger picture, which kind of brings you back to the, I think the we should start mocking people them. To benefit, but go ahead. I think we should start mocking them. Honestly. I mean, this is how they've, they've, they've positioned themselves. So they really have no right to get sanctimonious about it. Really. I mean, these people who are taking these positions, most of them don't have a fucking clue about the rest of the world. If they, if they really want to understand the rest of the world, these, you know, people of color, they should come live in a place that is ruled by people of color and be part of, of this, because this is a totally different track. We're not in a revolution against white people. We're, like here in Dominica, we're working on rebuilding economies locally. You know, yes, there's a history of colonialism that exists, but they're gone now in this country, and now we have to do something. And we're focused on that. And, you know, the United States is... <laughs> Most of us, the rest of the world, think the United States is just done for. You guys are fucked. Really, honestly, <laughs> any of my personal friends, anybody who knows me knows I've been telling anybody I care about to get the passport and be prepared to get the hell out of this country. That country is going down. 
and you're not the center of the universe, and to be talking with this, 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 this morality as if you know how black and white, what black and white means, whiteness, white privilege. What the fuck you know? I mean, go live in another country and see what it means. Yeah, there's a lot of countries where that actually matches because, you know, the, the, the history of colonialism is real. But it's not universal. In some places, they got their freedom. And there's no well, other and brown people. And it's also not really going on now. And they use that language of colonizer to talk about people currently living. You know, nobody participated in any of that who is currently living. You know, that, I mean, maybe we could come, actually, maybe we should challenge each other here. Because this, this is something where I do believe they have the upper hand in this, this, this part of the argument. We should acknowledge that. Because even though we didn't participate, any individual didn't participate in the thing that happened before, if you are working with the system, complicit with the system, that is originating, like all the, the property rights that exist within the United States come from genocide, that's clear, and slavery. All of the assets the government has built up, all of the, the White House was built with slave labor. We, we should not. We should not ignore that because these things are cumulative. Power does accumulate. And if you've accumulated power through crime, that power is not actually legitimate. And I feel no, and very I don't, strongly. I don't disagree with that. I think where the problem lies is that we are creating a scenario where what was supposed to be wrong with racism and prejudice in the first place was the idea that you can hold someone accountable for things that they didn't have anything to do with directly. I mean, we can make an argument for association for everything you're talking about, but there's a reason why these people don't want to pick up and go back to Africa. And that's because they're benefiting from it too. The, the situations in mm. most of the African countries wait, are wait, rough wait, 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 wait. Go ahead. I mean, these are complex topics, though. I mean, sure. this is the thing. I think it is important I mean, to balance things. When I talk to people, I'm finding that there is two sides of this. And if we're going to succeed, if we want to be able to make headway with this group, we do need to recognize the fact that there is a societal momentum. And it's not, it's not fair to try to say they're taking advantage of it, too to try to equivocate, to try to make it seem like it's equal. Because the reality is it was the Europeans who came and conquered these lands. You know, the Americans were not empty. They were filled with Native Americans. They killed more people than Hitler. There was still 10 million Native Americans who died. And not all of them direct killing. Sure. Obviously, some of them was a disease and these kinds of things. But it was a mass die-off. And a lot of it was direct genocide. And then there was slavery. And a lot of wealth was accumulated. And a lot of power was accumulated using that wealth. And you have a system where a way of enforcing power that comes from a specific mindset is dominant in the United States. And I honestly, I find that system detestable. That's why I left. I, I renounced my citizenship. I, mean, I refuse to participate or cooperate with that system. I consider it absolutely criminal. Well, here's evil. where I think here's where I think I that I believe that people have been caught up too much in the distraction is that it's important to recognize that a lot of things that have been identified as systemic racism actually would fall into the category of systemic classism, and that they go on in countries 
where there are no white people, and they go on in countries where there are only white people, and that race is a, a devising, basically a di- divisionary tactic of getting people to fight amongst themselves based on their differences is a strategy that gets employed in all of these countries, and they find other ways. You know, like when the British Empire was ruling the United Kingdom, they divided well, the Irish all the Scottish, and, you know, well, yeah, just, my, my point is, is that the wealthy collude. You know, like they talk about the slaves, yeah, they don't yeah. bring up the fact that it was the, the, the rich African kings who sold those black people to the European slave masters in the first place. You know, which isn't to say that that means that, no, it, what the point was to get at there is that the slave trade itself was wealthy people trading poor people with other wealthy people. That The fact that there was a given race involved was just about what was practical. It's easier to have a slave race that's easily identifiable as different than your own. You know, it, as far as like, you know, but as far as like any, I mean, the question would be, do you think that the black African kings who sold the initial slaves we're concerned about enforcing white supremacy, you know, of course not, but that nobody looks at it. Their, their chronology of events begins with what part of this was white. And then they only talk about it in that perspective. That's where I'm ge- coming from when I say that we can't hold everybody accountable for things that I think, other I think people to be effective though, you're falling into a trap though. This is, this is, I think a key element. I mean, really honestly, I've had this. I had the same conversation yesterday with someone else, and I, I see this. And it's really easy for people to not see how traps are being set, way things are being interpreted. And it's true we're being fed these labels that make it where you have to. If you're talking according to the terms that people are presenting you, it comes to things like what you're saying. But in the reality. There was something that started at a very specific time frame about 10,000 years ago, which started this process of growth past its boundaries. And humanity has existed for, according to anthropology current timeline, 315,000 years, right? So the mass, the majority of human existence, humans have lived a certain way. But for 10,000 years, use it in a very specific, different way. And it's a way of organizing society in top-down structures. And it's called vertical collectivism. And it amplifies power by using layers of officers, imposing authority on the layers below. And the reason it won, the reason it spread across the entire globe and no one could stop it, is because it's excellent as a military strategy. It's good for killing people. For, for, for conditioning people to obey, to use authority and conformity, and you layer it where people have people above them who are using this authority principle saying, you do this. And then everybody around them conforming and moving. And if anybody breaks conformity, they punish them. Then I can expand the authority principle because tribes, which is the origin before the colonialization, you want to talk about that? They were all horizontal. They had leaders, but the leaders did not have these layers of authority and conformity. And when we talk about layers of authority and conformity, it all comes down to police and military, because those were the enforcers. But to get a police and a military, somebody who has the gun or the sword, to kill somebody without question, 
the, the way to have that le- level of power is to have layers and layers and layers of people who are in charge above them. So they feel they have no choice but to obey. And that's the system we've keep re- repeating, 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 replicating thousands of years. And that was fundamentally different than the tribes. Yes, it's true that there were the beginnings of civilization. That's a euphemism euphemism for this colonial mindset, this growth-based top-down system. But when you know it started in Asia, in Mesopotamia, and it spread throughout Europe, and it was not white people. White people were one of the people who were conquered. There was thousands of tribes throughout Europe, thousands of languages and cultures. And those guys were white. And then they were forced to adapt or become like them or become them or be conquered. And then that spread. It's a disease. This way of organizing people to so create this power structure where there's somebody at the top or a few people at the top or you call it democracy, this cluster of idiots at the top, Congress or whatever you want to call them. And they're controlling everything. And everybody below thinks that they have no power. Well, that's bullshit. We're humans. We have our power. In a tribe, the leaders can't just dictate from above. They have to to deal with the human beings around them. But when you create this structure, this top-down, we have layers and layers and layers of generals and officers and law enforcement and intelligence agencies and systems. Then the the guy at the bottom, he had no power. He's going to get carried away. Is everybody's just looking up at all these people above them and, and everybody's saying, obey, obey, obey. And most humans can't resist that. It's too powerful. So that but, gives whoever's at the top the ability to do atrocities, horrible, horrible things. Well, and, and at, the core, the at the core of what I'm getting at was to say that there wasn't one race that dominated that, that perspective. And slavery throughout the centuries, you know, was people enslaving people you know, the Egyptians had slaves. Uh, the Native Americans had slaves. You know, that, that's something that doesn't get commonly talked about. But um, when Native Americans conquered each other, it was just like in Africa that they would take slaves from the people they conquered. Um, you know, and but it's being labeled as if it's only a white problem, that there's this oppressive concept called whiteness and that, that it's at the core of all oppression throughout the centuries as if nobody else has ever, you know, and it's not to say, this is, this is the part that I think is hard to get through to people, is that I'm not saying that it never happened from white to other people. I'm saying that when we limit our scope and understanding of what you're talking about to just being a white problem, we open ourselves up to it just simply going in the other direction. You know, and that, and that it's the ideology itself that is supposed to be what we're fighting. It's the idea of hierarchy you know, wherein there's a group of people who are in control and there's another group of people that are not, that is supposed to be at the core. You know, um, I share this video frequently, which ironically came from a group of socialists from the United Kingdom, where they pointed out through an analogy, you know, like they create what I call, what he called the kindergarten game, where they give one kid in the kindergarten all the toys, and he's supposed to essentially represent like the, the elite capitalist, you know, who's figuring out ways to control the masses. And he goes through the list of the different things that this person does. Race was on the list, but so was religion. So was gender. So was, you know, sexual orientation. 
So it's like they, they think that the problem is racism when the reality is, is that the problem is that there's a group of wealthy people who want the poor to fight each other so that they never unite against them. And if racism doesn't work, they have a bunch of other tools at their disposal. That's why I brought up the example of the British Empire ruling the Celtic Islands. Those people are all white, but they still figured out ways to divide them by, you know, their race or whatever. When I taught my kids about racism, one of the movies we watched together was Gangs of New York, which is about early colonial, you know, United, before it was the United States. And there was a period where the Irish were fleeing the potato famine and they were the damn Mexicans who were coming to take everybody's jobs. That's how they were treated. There was plenty of racism in that film. There were like no people of color in that film. And, And the point about it was that when the wealthy want us to fight each other, because nothing scares them more than the white ghetto people who live in the trailer trash, you know, um, environments in the South figure out that they have more in common with the black and Hispanic ghetto people of the North than they do with the, you know, the asshole rulers who just laugh at us from the top. That's what terrifies them. So they keep us fighting each other with all of these differences. Um, George Carlin did a bit about that. I'll probably play that at the end here, but to keep us focused on what's different so that we never unite against our common enemy, the thing that we have that's the same. And, you know, ironically, these people, they, they get a lot of people go ahead. I think a lot of people rebel against the idea that it's about economic position, because even if a lot of people, even if they are currently in a low economic position, they like the dream of being able to become rich. Right. And, and that's, it's tricky because the truth of the matter is it's not necessarily wealth that's the problem. The thing is most people who are uber wealthy are wealthy because they're addicts, because they're dopamine addicts. They, they just gotten on this ding, 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 ding from getting a little, you know, video game. They got more points and it doesn't even matter anymore. They, they can't even increase the standards of living because they tried. I mean, way past that but they just they're addicted to the ding 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 oh you're the richest man in the world oh you're not the richest man in the world anymore oh you should try harder. so there's that right but then the reality is you know there's a lot of people who want to work with that economic system of capitalism to improve their lives and to improve other people's lives it is, it is an ideological difference. People can have this disagreement about whether capitalism is a better pattern. I agree that as a global pattern, it's, it's fundamentally more destructive. But what's also worth noting is the nuance, because even among tribes, which, which actually had the only proven 305,000 years economic model that doesn't require money at all, they had a system of cooperation that was involved in, you know, you have a group of people working together, just like a pack of wolves. We keep each other alive. And you have your economic exchange based on that. There's a lot of different forms of it. No, but I agree with that. I think But even those, they, even some of them, even when they were dealing with foreign tribes, 
they still had methods of exchange that were more resembling capitalism. Because if you don't have trust, if you don't have a close relationship with somebody, it's really hard to get that altruistic mindset that you're willing to just share equally the things that you have at your control with somebody who's far away that you don't love, you don't care about, you don't have a relationship with. The thing is, well, right. tribes, they were able to maintain this, this non-monetary approach for the majority of human existence. And that's why like, no other species has a monetary approach to economics because they share resources too, you know? I mean, wolves, they share resources. Any, any social animal shares resources, but they, we're the only species that needs money. So we're the only species that's doing this particular system. But there's another I, way. Go ahead. So I was going to say that, you know, on the other side of the coin, because ironically, because of the fact that I've been concerned with the other elements. So like we talk about the, the groups of instigators, some of the people I'm also running into. So actually, let me just, let me just kind of give the list and then we'll elaborate. So here's what I have essentially figured out are the groups of people that think that they have something to gain by the current state of chaos. First, you have the white supremacists who believe that they want to waste a race war now because they look at the future and statistics are showing that white people will be a minority, um, even just through regular interbreeding um, before a certain period of time. I don't have it memorized as to what they think, but they believe that if they're going to have a race war, they have a much better success possibility if they go now. And, you know, so they think that if they're going to get every, all these people of color out of the United States, they better get it moving. And so to them, they're hoping that things continue down the lines that they are because it'll be easier for them to get a race war started. But then you have the black supremacists who many people on the left simply just pretend don't exist, um, who are hoping for a race war because a lot of them have some really crazy master race Nazi-like ideas that it's their destiny to win such a race war. And people just kind of dismiss them by saying that they're some kind of a minority. The thing is, is the more research I do, the more I find and come across black supremacists who are not just members of Black Lives Matter, they're organizers. Like I have a screenshot of something that the former organizer of Black Lives Matter from Ontario said that is literally just Nazi ideology and blackface. You know, whereas they said that white people are genetically a defect, you know, that black people are superior, that melanin is the chemical that makes people civilized and, and white people don't have it. You know, like just a whole master race ideology built around black people. And they, they a lot of people are not aware that this ideology existed. Um, but the, the nation of Islam is perhaps the most prevalent you know, obvious group that has been saying these things, they're just usually a lot quieter about it. It's like when you get involved in the, the Mormon cult, for example, the Mormons have some pretty crazy beliefs, but you don't find out about them until you've been in the club long enough, you know, for them to feel that it's safe to go ahead and tell you about it. Every now and then one of them makes a mistake, like this Black Lives Matter organizer who just openly said that white, whiteness is a genetic defect. She deleted the post, and unfortunately for her, the internet saved it. You know, and when you bring this stuff up, then people just try to dismiss it. But these people know who they are. You know, like they, they know who you are. Essentially, they, they are working to slowly radicalize more and more activists to think like that. And they see this as their opportunity to make that a more popular ideology. So there's another group. And then you have the anarchists. Um, this is another thing that I've found to be kind of hilarious about the conversations about Antifa is that back in Occupy, 
everybody knew that Antifa was a primarily a anarcho-communist group. You know, um, some of them less militant than others. You know, but that it's a communist group, that it's an anarchist group, and that everybody understood that, and everybody understood that they, you know, basically believed in organized violence, and that their purpose was to try to overcome the government so that they can have, you know, a new anarchist society. And now, if you bring that up, people on the left are, like, I run into two different types. There's either those that are utterly ignorant of that and don't know anything about it, and because they're relatively, like when you're talking about this generation, because they're relatively new to activism, they, they weren't around for what Antifa was like. You know, when we were at Occupy Detroit, we, they annoyed the hell out of us because we would have peaceful marches and protests, and they'd be walking around behind us breaking shit, and then we would get the blame. It would be Occupy did that, you know. Um, but black block protests, and specifically, you know, you can I, – I actually went back and watched videos, for example, of like the Berkeley riots – you know, where they're openly wearing Soviet symbols, carrying red and black flags, you know, which I know it means because I'm versed in anarcho, anar- you know, anarchist symbolism, but th- these people are not. And I tried to make a post to bring this up and people laugh at you. That's not true. You don't know anything about Antifa. Everybody's Antifa who opposes fascism. You oppose fascism, right? Like the wall of moms, they're, you know, they're Antifa. And so another ironic thing that came about, go ahead. Maybe we should, I mean, this is my approach is I, I see so much ridiculous in this, this kind of thing. And I almost, I almost would enjoy, I, actually, I would enjoy being in that, you know, in, in that country for a little while. Because, <laughs> I mean, if a, if, a, if a person is talking about, are you, are you with the fascist? Do you know what the meaning of the word fascist is? You know what the, the origin of it? I mean, fascia is, a bundle of sticks. The, the power of fascism is a group think. Forming a group into a unified block of belief that cannot be questioned. And that is much stronger than a single stick. And that's why they took that as their symbol. The symbol of fascism is a group of sticks united. Unquestioned. That is the essence of fascism. And the left is actually engaging in it. And it works. It works. Yes, you, you have a chance of, of generating a movement when you're working with that principle. Because you will have successes if you overwhelm people with the, the conformity principle. If you make them feel like they're outnumbered, most people cannot stand against it. Of all the people who submit, you'll have a, a large percentage who didn't actually want to go that direction. And then you're going to have this other percentage, these resistors. And if you use that tactic and you're not in touch with the actual current of society, where where the actual pendulum is swinging, historically it goes the opposite direction. There's since studies, and I can show you this, but the historical outcome of economic downturns, the vast majority cause the populace to swing to the right. And that's not without the left doing their antagonism. But the fact is, and the antagonism of the left actually feeds the right. If you're attacking police and military, what do police and military represent? They represent law and order. They represent, represent the state, a country that you can live in. Because if you don't have 
police and military, then anybody can be involved in uh, violent interaction to, to decide who wins. Be anybody with a gun. Population right. don't stay in that state very long. This is what Gustav Lebon teaches, is that actually human populations are inherently conservative from a certain perspective. They don't like chaos. Because mothers who are raising little babies don't want chaos. They don't want their house burning down. They don't want the businesses that they work for burning down or the businesses their husband works for burning down. The average human being who has to keep going and raise kids and provide for the future does not like chaos. So if the chaos starts coming, they start asking for a solution. They start saying, somebody do something. This is too much. They burnt our business down. This is crazy. Do something. And this is where the right wins. Because you're just creating this context where everybody's going, do something, do something, do something, do something. And then the right finally says, okay, let's do something. Well, and, and then they look the like right the saviors. The left they look like they're, right. That, yeah, they look like they're the saviors. And that's ironically actually how the whole Nazi thing happened. Was ironically was that they, they basically created their own communist red scare. They burned down the Reichstag. You know, and they made it look like we're trying to save you from the evil anarchy that's coming. And the left doesn't but the, realize that the, the, the extreme left existed part. at that time. And the extreme left existed at that time and created the groundwork for fake attack. Like they, they, because they were doing their own attacks, when, when, when the right decided to, to use its, its own force against itself to just pretend like they were attacked, right. it made perfect sense. Right. Who, who, would dis, who would not believe if, 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 if right now the news report comes out that Antifa blew up a federal building? People would believe it right now. Absolutely. Well, they're trying to burn them down right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if somebody does a fucking huge bomb and kills a bunch of people, people are going to believe it. And they're going to be, oh, my God, we have a terrorist organization in our country. Do something. Trump or Pence, <laughs> or even and Biden. The left, they should be really fun. <laughs> but well, no, not, I don't think it's going to go that way. I mean, <sighs> well, he signed the Patriot Act. Or he didn't sign it. He voted for the Patriot Act. I, I don't think we'll be any better off at Biden. I, I think people have been. Essentially... It would be very different. We, 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 people should game gameplay through that because if, if they think it's going to be better, I mean, I mean, it would be different. It'd be very different. But but yeah, this Biden kind of... wins. Then, yeah. Yeah, this is the conversation, though, that we needed to have, is that these people don't recognize that the activism I put in quotes that they're engaging in that they think is working is not really working for them. And that's something I remember saying before we got on. It's like because of my kids involvement in sports, for whatever reason, the sport of wrestling has a lot of conservatives involved in it. And so I have all these conservative friends in my my immediate circle, and a lot of them were much more moderate. Republicans who would have never approved of, say, a group of protesters being put on buses and shipped off the camp somewhere. But the more they behave like this, the more public support for that kind of draconian measure is becoming popular. You know, and I actually pulled yeah. up some articles because, you know, they're trying to say that they're gaining support, but the, the statistics are showing that that's not the case. So I pulled up some articles about this, and even the left leaning websites are admitting, you know, like uh, one of them listed um, poll 
support for Black Lives Matter movement slipping in Wisconsin. And it brings up a graph. And in June, the Black Lives Matter movement had a 59% favorable rating and a 27% unfavorable rating. And then with each preceding month into August, it went from 49.37, you know, and then in September, it dropped again as far as the favorable rating, as in as the rioting and the burning and the looting continues and more specifically gets justified, you know, and people are literally writing articles for, you know, entitled in defense of looting, you know, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. if that's defensible, you know, um, the, the support for Black Lives Matter is dropping, you know, so, it, you know, but that's, again, don't forget their, their, their attitude is we shouldn't have to convince people. We're just trying to scare people. They don't recognize that now, even like the suburban Republicans who might just look down at you a little bit, you know, who drive a, you know, SUV around and all that are now to the point where they're going to be in support of things that normally you would have only heard from an extreme right wing person. And, you know, the more they do things like target innocent people like they did in that cafe, the more they do things like blocking freeways, which I mean, that's another thing about it is like, I I think that what's going on is that, you know, you talk about addiction, you know, there's an addiction to rage, there's an addiction to being angry, there's an addiction to, you know, feeling justified in doing something. So they engage in activism that makes them feel good, but it's not effective. You know, like, I'm sure that Martin Luther King would feel good hitting back one of these people who hit him, you know, but he knew that that wouldn't work. You know, and just because it makes you feel good doesn't mean that you're changing public opinion. This is about winning hearts and minds. It's like the reason we lost the Vietnam War was because you you couldn't, you know, keep the hearts and minds of the Vietnamese people, you know, supporting you because, the, the again, the, the, the lines were muddied as far as, like, who the good guys were. And now we're muddying those lines and it's only getting worse. There's no, nobody is calling out when these things go badly. They just say things, well, that's just a minority of people. They say that very quietly, but nobody will call them out when they do something wrong. So like in Portland, for example, a group of Black Lives Matter security, you know, there's video of them patrolling the streets, looking for random white people, you know, to a cost. And The one that was more publicly known was the guy that they kicked in the head earlier on in a video taken by, you know, one of the independent journalists, they just find a white guy at a park and just beat him up and take his stuff, you know? And then the, the video about the guy who got kicked in the head, but usually most people saw that part, they didn't see what led up to it. So they made assumptions like, well, he must've done something to deserve it. Well, I watched the whole thing and that guy was trying to help, ironically, a trans person that was being robbed and mugged, you know, in the presence of Black Lives Matter security. And so he got involved and tried to help this person. And then another black person stepped forward and said, what you guys are doing is wrong. And they literally said, we're here for Black Lives Matter. Fuck these white cunts. Like they just openly said, you know, what's wrong with you? Why are you supporting these white people? You know, so then eventually that leads to this guy who was honestly a really passive, mellow white guy just trying to get in his truck and leaving. He didn't hit anybody. He didn't hurt anybody. Um, you know, he did drive away fast, but that's because they were pounding on him and they beat up his girlfriend too. You know, so then eventually the truck crashes and they yank the guy out of the truck and they beat the shit out of him. 
you know, and again, you know, still saying Black Lives Matter, and then eventually they knock the guy unconscious, you know, and that's another example of a video that's then going to be used to recruit for white supremacists. They're going to look at that and go, see, yeah, we told you, now. you know, and then you, you couple that with what I consider to be the final nail in the coffin, which is that cafe video we just talked about. And people will say very quietly, well, they don't, they don't really represent us, you know, but they, they have this amorphous thing going on that they think is going to work. And Antifa does the same thing, which is that anytime something good is done in the name of Black Lives Matter, they can say, oh, well, yeah, those people are Black Lives Matter or they are Antifa. But anytime something negative is done, then they think that they can get away with saying, well, those people don't represent us, you know, even if they're organizers like the crazy Nazi you know, black Nazi lady from Toronto, even if they're leaders or prevalent in the movement, like the, the video that I show of a guy on C-SPAN after Hurricane Katrina, who is a respected professor who engages in writing textbooks, openly saying on C-SPAN that we need to exterminate white people from the face of the planet and that the problem on the planet is white people. So even if they're people like that, they're the fringe that, you know, don't pay attention to them. Basically, they create a situation where they think that they can get away with suggesting that anything positive represents them and anything negative, even if it's done in their name by people chanting their slogans, is not them. And the problem is that'll work for a while. It doesn't work on intelligent people. And that's the reason for these polls that I was just quoting, showing you know Black Lives Matter support dropping every month. And they don't do anything about it. And the reason they don't do anything about it is because they're, they're, everybody's scared of the backlash you'll get. You know, in one instance, there was a Black Lives Matter chapter that met with, uh, I should actually look up later anyway, the city involved, you know, like saying, hey, we want to have a Black Lives Matter protest. And they went to the mayor and they went to the police and they said, well, I have a better idea. Why don't we have a barbecue where you get all your activists together and we'll meet with all the police and we'll get to know each other. We'll have a community you know, engagement and you know, will solve so many problems. So they had this beautiful, peaceful moment where the police and the people of that city interacted with each other to become friends, to become friendly, to actually get to know each other. And Black Lives Matter, the, their Twitter account anyway, who knows who controls it, openly condemned it and said that that was wrong and that Black Lives Matter did not support that. You know, and in addition to that, you run into other problems. So, for example, there was another video of a lady who was a Black Lives, trying to start a Black Lives Matter chapter at her university campus and wasn't getting a lot of traction. So she literally created a false Twitter account to threaten herself and say that <laughs> if anybody showed up at this event, that, you know, they were going to shoot everybody. So the result of that was she got 100 plus people to show up to her event to support her. But then she got caught. And she went to jail because she created an incident. But she was so desperate to have her oppression fixed that she literally created a false incident, to, you know, because she wasn't getting enough racist traction in the place that she was starting a Black Lives Matter chapter. You know, so it, it's hard for people to, to consider the fact that all of these things play against them. If, if they're an activist group, the whole point of activism was supposed to be to try to convince people to support your cause. If you're not doing that, then you're failing. And, and if the reason why is because the strategies that are being pushed on you are not effective, who does that benefit? And that actually, that's another thing I needed to point out, was the final group of people that have a vested interest in the chaos that's going on right now 
is the Democratic Party is hoping that they can swing all of this in such a way to help them beat Trump in the election. But it's not a good idea. It's not going to work. You know, it, 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 things are kind of a question mark right now. I know that before the COVID-19 thing happened, I was kind of of the opinion that as much as I, you know, I voted for Bernie and I wanted him to get the nomination, I, you know, when he didn't get it because the DNC clearly screwed him again, I was going to pull out the popcorn and watch, you know, um, Trump make Biden his prison bitch on the debate stage because Biden is a terrible candidate in debate, especially now. You know, but, you know, I just figured, well, that's it. You guys have just picked the least electable candidate of all of them. You know, I was going to laugh at them. That's the only reason there's even a question mark now is this COVID thing as to who people might vote for if the votes get counted correctly anyway. And I've already done multiple shows about election fraud. You know, but the, the point is, is that when I was getting back to who's benefiting from the chaos, you have all these groups of people that think that they're going to get what's best out of this. And then when you bring up the communists, they believe that this is their opportunity to get their grand communist revolution. And they think that it'll happen, you know, militarily. And when people are like, you know, well, you're just red scaring. I'm like, no, I got screenshots of discussing things with people who identify themselves as members of Antifa, literally praising Stalin and saying that Stalin should have killed more people. You know, like those people exist. They're real. And they think that they're planning, you know, a violent revolution. These are not the kind of communists you want. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, that's so that's why to say it's like we could be concerned about the rise of the right, but there's also an extreme left that thinks it's going to take mm-hmm. charge and you don't want those people either. You know, um, and communism, that's the other thing is like uh, people are, are suggesting, you know, on the college campuses, communism is making a big comeback. And one of the original Black Lives Matter founders is literally on video saying, I'm a trained Marxist and a trained Marxist organizer, you know, like that's literally her, exactly what she said verbatim. You know, like, that's not a paraphrase. I saw that video. That's what she I saw, said. I saw, right. Yeah. I saw that. Well, I, saw, I saw that video. So I think that what comes out of this, first of all, is that any legitimate, um, any legitimate progress that was made towards like what I would call positive socialist ideas that people like Bernie Sanders might've made, I mean, he took enormous shit for just using the word socialist. Now you got people that are openly radically communist who think that Stalin should have killed more people. You know, the backlash that's going to come at that is going to set back the legitimate leftist movement that really does care about people decades. It, you know, if there ends up being a, a, like a violent communist uprising, you know, any hopes that we would have had of people even being willing to entertain that notion would be gone. You'll bring back all of the negative attitudes about it. Like, so, you know, it, that's something I remember mentioning to somebody was like, I can't even have legitimate conversations with people just about health care, you know, <laughs> things that are, you know, not oppressive yeah, in any this, way. This, 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 this is where I have, to, I have to interject a little tiny bit because, you know what, this is not the trajectory that's happening around the world. Really, honestly, this is not. The left and the right is not doing this in Dominica or anywhere else in France. It's not this. There's different things that are happening. And really, the people who think that they're so elevated because they have these leftist ideas, they're not realizing that they they actually come across as the most extreme version of right wing because they're so stuck in their nationalist perspective. They can't even imagine how the rest of the world looks at things. 
It really, 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 really. It's, 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 you guys just look like a bunch of buffoons. Really, all of you, you look like a bunch of buffoons. I, and I, I, I'm sorry if I'm being insulting, but that's the truth. I mean, well, no, that's here how Dominica, people from Europe go, say it They're not everyone like, oh, Black Lives Matter. Oh, the, the like that, that's that's so great, and and um, the right wing's so crazy. They're just going like, that's just crazy. That's well, crazy. right, that's crazy. one of the things that Bernie Sanders pointed out was that countries like Denmark, you know have a lot of social programs and there's nobody being rounded up and shot. But we, we had during the red scare, a point where you can't even talk about collectively working together to help each other, or you're a communist, which equates to, you know, millions of people dying, you know, that they, the, those two things are connected immediately, even when they shouldn't be. And ironically, this is the part that's the, the part that they all miss is that the reason that millions of people died in communist Russia was not because people failed to share. It's because they identified the farmers as part of their identity war, and they killed them all. So nobody knew how to properly do agriculture, and that's what led to the famines. It's not because, they, it's not because the idea that people could share and work together you know, was itself a failure, it's because of the identity politics. And ironically, in South Africa right now, they're, they're begging the white farmers to come back because they kicked out all of the people who owned land who actually understood how to do major agriculture, and it led to famines you know, and widespread starvation. You know, not because black people can't learn to farm. They obviously can, you know, but because that knowledge went with them when they kicked all the white farmers out. It was the same thing in Soviet Russia when they got when they killed all of them, you know, labeling them as the evil landowner class, you know, and that that's the part of communism that got everybody killed was the identity politics part. And now we're seeing identity politics in a new form, you know, um, and that's the part that's dangerous. I don't think people realize that, but that's, you know, that's the concern I have is that the extreme leftist part of this movement is going to basically, you know, Bernie Sanders had just gotten people to the point where they were at least willing to politely talk about the possibility of democratic socialist ideas. And now, if the radical communists show up, you know, and make a movement, especially if they become terrorists, you know, then we will set back that conversation. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that there are people involved in this who are socially engineering it. That's something that became clear to me when I was in Occupy because I was part of Occupy Detroit and Occupy Flint. And there were two very distinct things that were different. Occupy Detroit was overtaken with excessive social justice woke politics, and it eventually caused enormous infighting. It caused all kinds of like just delays in everything that we tried to do. We became much less effective. It was so hard to get anything done because everything needed to be lined up by the basis of who was oppressed more should be doing more of the talking. You know, at one point they called it a a victory that white people would not be allowed to speak to the media on behalf of black lives matter. I'm I'm sorry. I've occupied. Then you compare that and contrast that to occupy Flint. Occupy Flint was just as diverse as occupy Detroit, but we got way more shit done in occupy Flint. And it's because we, because the woke politics stuff for whatever reason never showed up there. You know, so there wasn't all this infighting. There wasn't all this dividing people up by, 
you know, you're black, you're Hispanic, you're gay, you're this, you're that, you know, and if you're white, you're not allowed to talk, you know, um, none of that went on. And so the end result was, you know, they both had their problems. I'm not saying Occupy Flint was perfect, but one of them was a hell of a lot more effective than the other. And now the Occupy movement in general is kind of a shadow of its former self. And Occupy Detroit is like a barely used Facebook group when it used to have hundreds of members who were actively engaged in camping. And those people all devolved into their own little groups. Now, to bring this full circle to the Zeitgeist movement and Jacques Fresco's work was that Fresco specifically opposed, I don't want to say necessarily opposed, he just did not advise um, racial or specific group activism. And I, when I went down to talk to him in Venus to understand why he felt that way, he pointed out that what his experience was, and that guy had been alive since the Great Depression, was that people get involved in that stuff, and initially they're well-intentioned. But over time, you get so wrapped up in it that you go from pushing for equality to eventually becoming so fanatical that your push for equality starts to become a push for advantage. And you start to become the thing that which you oppose. And I realized he was absolutely right, because now the black racial movements are making it permissible and even encouraging language against white people that sounds exactly like an inverted version of what racist terms would have been in the 60s when speaking about black people. You know, and like we were talking about earlier in the broadcast, now they're fighting for segregation. They, they want black-only spaces on campuses. You know, they want black-only this and black-only that. Like you said, the exact thing that Martin Luther King was fighting against, they're asking for you know, they're, they're advising black people that they need to separate themselves from white people, you know, which is, again, the people should, you know, and this, is, this is where we should be a little bit caustic. This is what I would say. I want to just throw something, a uh, monkey into the wrench, because reality is people should look at who's funding this shit. There's some yeah. really wealthy white people funding Black Lives Matter. And some of these people are a little bit on the really nasty side. I, I won't go into the specifics, but there's investors who participated in all sorts of upheavals funding this stuff. Well, I, I, I can be direct. Soros. And yeah, Soros there have been a lot of people who say be, that. Yeah. 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 I mean, Soros, it, 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 you have to look at what his objective is. And part of his objective does involve the United States is going to be brought down and there's going to be a global system. And people think that this is a conspiracy theory, but you can go look at these guys talking about it. They have videos of them talking about it. They want to see the end of this particular experiment. I personally think it's too late. The United States is done. So the next stage, what they're going to create, is it's going to be a different social order. And it's not going to be based on what you guys think you want. It's going to be based on the guys who are funding you what they're going to use you to accomplish. That's going to be the opposite of what you think is going to happen. The opposite. They're going to use your rage to give the people against you power because they benefit most. The people who have wealth and power benefit most when they have an extreme right government. But to get that extreme right government, you have to provoke the population using a left-wing activism group because it doesn't happen naturally. People don't want to go to this extreme law and order society. 
You have to be provoked to get it. And you're giving them that ammunition. You're giving them the ability to do that. And they're going to use this to create something even more totalitarian, controlled by white people far, far away. You're going to create this chaos that enables them to create this new order. You're going to give them the, 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 the justification to clamp down. And then and that's, you're not going to have any control of it. None. None. Well, and that's the other part of it. So, like, I, I recently, because, again, we have to look at the extremes on the right and the left and what they want. Even in the communist system, because uh, there was a KGB operative who was a defector who came to the United States and he, you know, tried to give them, le- le- you know, lectures essentially on subversion and how the, you know, the Soviet Union was sending agents to the United States to create this chaos, starting off in the, the educational system, and that the whole point was to try to get, you know, um, to demoralize and destroy the United States from within. And everything this guy said, and this was like in the like late 70s, you can still watch videos of this guy on YouTube. You know, it's all coming true. And one of the things that he points out is there's two major parts of this that, that are a problem. The first of one is that... Um, First of all, the wealthy, like the the ones who are not like, you know, part of the actual elite planning everything are going to essentially what he said was buy the rope that they will hang themselves with because they abuse the capitalist system in such a way that people get sick of it. And then it causes support for extreme communist ideas because people look at the, you know, the corruption and they go, well, screw this. We, you know, we want to be communist now because this isn't working and the wealthy will not see that they play a part in this. So like one of the things that, you know, kind of popped out of that was that, so the wealthy elite in the United States, largely Republican, use the Republican Party to deregulate so that we can sell our economy to China, you know, which is what's happening right now. You know, they're selling our economy to China. And you, you see this more than ever now with COVID happening with all the things that we don't have in the United States, because they were manufactured in China, and during the COVID lockdowns, we couldn't get any of them. You know, so the wealthy, so addicted to their profits, essentially create the situation that allows a communist uprising to happen, you know, unwittingly. And, and they just think they blame it all on the poor people, because, but they don't recognize their part in it, which is their greed gets so out of control that even the capitalist system can't function in that circumstance. And that's what leads to the, you know, the, the radicalization and the willingness on the part of the, you know, the poor to try to embrace the communist system. But the other aspect that they pointed out was that these kids, you know, who get talked into becoming the stormtroopers of this kind of uprising, once it's over, the people who take over have no further use for you and they'll get rid of you. You know, like uh, Hitler got rid of his brown shirts you know, um, the Bolsheviks got rid of their extremists, you know, um, and basically once they've, they've they, because one of the things the Soviet guy pointed out was that such a regime is not going to have any tolerance for protests and riots and all that at all. It, so after you've done your purpose for them, they get rid of you because if you, because they, he also pointed out is that the inevitably what happens is the same people that are protesting now, if an extreme communist regime took over, would be trying to protest and riot again. The difference is in an extreme communist system, they'll just shoot you. you know, it's you know, it's like Tiananmen Square. It's not it's not going to be cops standing there across from you, letting you hurl insults at them and spit at them. It's going to be people shooting you dead. 
you know, because at that point they don't have any use for you anymore. They, they've taken over, they've gotten what they wanted, you know, and the, the utopia that they thought was going to happen doesn't happen, you know, and that, that's when it gets snatched from them, you know, and I, I think that a lot of these people, whether it's they, they think that they're supporting the communist side of it or they think that they're supporting the fascist side of it, you know, neither of them are aware of the fact that at the end of the day, if you're the ones who are out in the streets doing all the dirty work now, you don't have a future in either of those outcomes. You know, because if you don't fall in line, an absolutist fascist system does not in any way put up with any kind of fighting against it. You know, so the modes by which that they took power will not work anymore. And that's another reason why I said that people don't recognize that they're being allowed to do this. You know, they don't have any realistic understanding of where, of where they really sit. Is that, you know, like we talked about, the police using small arms and all that. You know, we haven't even discussed the military, you know, um, and that was something we kind of touched on a little bit earlier. But I wanted to also kind of emphasize is that people are now also being deluded into thinking this is on the right and the left, that their firearms that they have, which I do believe people should own, will empower them to engage in some kind of revolution. The problem is, is that we don't live in the time period when the average farmer's musket was not that different than the average, you know, redcoat musket. We, we now live in a world of extremely powerful surveillance systems, aircraft, tanks, you know, I mean, like, there's so many things that if the people of the United States wanted to have an uprising, they will not have access to. And these kids, especially the ones, you know, like if you need a safe space because somebody drew Trump 2016 in chalk on the sidewalk in your college campus, you're not going to be able to handle a, a firefight, you know. <laughs> and if you can't take any kind of orders, you know, like, that's actually something that... um. You know, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier before we were on the air was there was a guy who did a show because he monitors 4chan and anonymous and anonymous actually hacked into some of these Antifa groups to, to listen to what they're saying. And these people have, they can't get anything done because they can't organize because they're all anarchists who hate all forms of hierarchy. The problem is, is that if you don't have any discipline, if you can't take any orders, if you can't establish any kind of hierarchy in any fashion, you cannot engage in warfare. So these people mm-hmm. compare themselves to the Viet Cong or the Taliban. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like I've got the Marine Corps manual on um, uh, insurgency tactics, like less than five feet away from me. And most of it was based on what went on in the Vietnam war. The Viet Cong had a very rigid command structure. And if you deviated, they just shoot you. You know, and that's one of the reasons they were effective. You you couldn't like, what do you think you're going to, you're going to protest against your your commander in the Vietnam War? No, of course not. If these kids can't even organize to like figure out what they want to do as Antifa, which is apparently one of the things that they revealed by when 4chan hacked into some of their private servers to listen to their chatter, is that they fight with each other constantly. They argue all the time. They don't they, and they don't have any kind of like cohesion. So they're basically just being led like lemmings to their demise. And meanwhile, you know, creating the, like we said, the foundation for the situation that's going to make people comfortable with the idea that large portions of people are going to start getting arrested and taking, taken away and nobody's going to care what happened to them. We're creating a situation where leftist ideology will be labeled a terrorist ideology. And once that happens, a whole other set of legislation set into you know to motion post 9/11 comes into fruition 
And a lot of that stuff. Well, they, there's they, they, they've authority. already classified Antifa. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Classified, classified Antifa, Antifa as, um, as a terrorist organization, and they can right. do it because they match the definition. But right. And that's why I read the definition I mean, of domestic terrorists earlier. You know, and now we had a guy but, who literally but, just shot someone. You know. Um, but, 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 but they're still waiting. I mean, this is the thing. People, young people really just don't get this. If they, if they haven't watched a few generations of how this progresses, there is an actual ruling class. It's not the politicians in front of your face. And they're progressing gradually. And we're setting the stage for someone else to use this power. And it, it just, it's a question of public relations when it's a good time to do it. And you're just creating the perfect conditions. And the, that comes down to the population, the general swing of the population turning against you to such a degree that there's not a significant backlash to crushing you. Everybody will be happy to see you crushed once right. you pissed everybody off. Once and you that's insulted exactly enough it. people. Yeah. You, you read happening. the comments and, on these YouTube videos. Like anytime there's a video of people finally being arrested – you know, I honestly think that, like, for example, the, the federal officers that got deployed in Portland were essentially, like, playtesting how this legislation worked because federal officers were allowed to arrest people without reading them any Miranda initially, just pulling them off the streets, putting them in a van, carting them off somewhere, and then eventually releasing them. You know, but all of that is legal. That's the part they don't recognize because they don't know because they haven't studied it. None of that was illegal. You know, was it moral? You know, that, that's not the question. The question was is that they were attacking federal buildings in Portland, you know, and that creates a situation. Like, I've been studying the Patriot Act again because I had to brush up on it, but a lot of the changes, for example, that were put in the Patriot Act was to identify arson specifically as an act of terrorism. And what is everybody doing in all of these? You know, they're lighting shit on fire. And not only that, there's a push specifically – to attack federal buildings and then they arrest people and they release them again you know like it's catch and release like they're fishing you know <laughs> you know because they, they do they bring them in they read you know they they take their fingerprints they mug shot them and then they just let them back out and like you know so whose benefit of that is well they're first of all they're building a database you know we've known that since like the early protests that you know that went on during the bush era that they were filming everybody you know, that they were taking names and, and identifying who the leaders are, you know, and in Portland, they just had, I think they just arrested a hundred people in Portland all, all very rapidly. And it happened in a very short period of time, you know, um, but one of the things also that I, I want to identify that is a serious threat is the polarization is so out of control that people are now so into their, their teams, so to speak, that they don't recognize, like, you, if you go against what they establish as their narrative, even if you provide them with evidence, they, they can't listen to you. They'll laugh at your post, but they can't argue with you. because, And then they'll call you all kinds of names. If, if you oppose, like, so, for example, the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting happened, and I did a video about that. And, you know, it's pretty clear to me that kid was just defending himself. For just saying that, that means that you're a Trump-supporting fascist, you know, racist, misogynist, you know, like, even if you didn't say anything about race, you're automatically racist if you supported Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, um, it, 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 on the other side of it, then you had this other guy who I'm going to, I'm going to mispronounce his name, so I'm not even going to say it, but basically a member of Antifa 
who just walked up on a Trump supporter in Portland and gunned him down like a mob hit, you know, and if you don't say that he was another victim because the police shot him, you know, um, and it's funny how this, this worked because Vice did another article about what happened to him. And they said, a witness said that he was shot by police without warning in that article. It also says the two other witnesses say that he fired on them first, but that's not in the headline. And when you watch people discussing it on Facebook, nobody's talking about those other two witnesses who say that's not what happened. You know, Vice got what it wanted because it got, you know, the, the effect that it wanted. And that all these people just commenting on it on Facebook are saying, so the police just executed him. You see, the police are bad. You know, basically both sides are being lined up in such a way that no matter what evidence you present to them, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse is a vile murderer and this Reinhold guy is a hero, you know, and then if you're on the right, then it's the opposite, you know, point where Kyle Ritten, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse is the hero and this Reinhold guy is the evil person. The truth is, is I, you know, I researched it myself. I do my own thinking and that is becoming like an endangered species in activism. And they are, there's like no home for you if you're not going to be one extreme or the other. You know, and that's the part about it that I think that scares me more than anything else is that every passing day, as I monitor this chatter on Facebook and Twitter, people are becoming more and more polarized, doing less and less thinking. And if you go against like anybody who's on your team, this was another part about it that was really disturbing to me. The first two people that Kyle Rittenhouse shot The first one was a pedophile who raped five boys between the ages of nine and 11 years old. And then the second guy that he shot, or rather that actually, that he killed, um, Huber, was a guy who had like six domestic violence charges, including false imprisonment, which means he was abusing a girl and wouldn't let her leave. You know, a total piece of trash. But because these two people happened to be shot by Kyle Rittenhouse, who represents Trump, and that political faction, they're automatically martyrs. You know, like they were doing tributes to them and and talking about how great they were. You know, so, but here's another example of how this weird, like, completely hypocritical dichotomy happens is that, like, in one point I actually did a video because there was a Facebook group I was on for progressive activists where they had a link as a tribute to this Huber guy, you know, who beat up women you know, but they had a, a, a tribute to him because he died at the hands of Kyle Rittenhouse. And then below it, they have a video of Kyle Rittenhouse getting in a fight with a girl, you know, and they say, God, that Kyle Rittenhouse guy is terrible. Look at that. He's abusing girls and, you know, he's abusing women. You know, what a piece of slime, you know. And then above that, they have Anthony Huber, you know, but because Huber was killed by Kyle Rittenhouse and because he was on their side of the protest, you know, he's a good guy. And when I pointed out that, Anthony Huber had multiple charges of beating and strangling, you know, and imprisoning a woman. They're all like, well, that doesn't matter. You know, why are you bringing that up? You know, that's just, you know, that's wrong. Who cares about that? Like literally on the same page, these two posts were right next to each other. That's how little people are thinking is that Kyle Rittenhouse getting in a fight with a girl as a kid, you know, and Anthony Huber on the same page. One of these people is listed as human waste and the other pre-person is not, they both did the same thing, supposedly. But one of them's right and one of them's left. There's no other time period that I could ever think of where that sort of thing would fly. I mean, we were in a stage where extreme feminism was already getting people canceled. 
you know, then Joe Biden was revealed as a rapist, and then suddenly rape is okay. <laughs> It would be a little bit of a stretch to say this is new, though. I mean, in-group, out-group is the oldest, the oldest equations. I mean, Henry Tajwell explained it in, in such simple terms. He showed that there's an instinct. You can take a group of people, divide them by a coin toss, and say, your heads, your tails. And by the end of the day, they're discriminating against the other side over something completely arbitrary. If you... If you Spike that instinct of the tribe, which comes from all social animals, which we are one of social animals, then it inherently becomes stronger. If you, if you make them feel like they're the outsider, if you say all white people are racist, and the person feels like they're a white person, and they feel attacked, that strengthens their resistance to the the group that that's, that's being framed as the out group. You actually can accentuate racial divisions just by making that be the thing that you divide people. I mean, you divide oh, no, people I agree with that wholeheartedly. On, on I'm just saying that it's, yeah, I'm just saying it's gotten so extreme that now it's utterly irrational. Yeah, I could show them videos. But it's always irrational. Well, yeah, I'm just irrational. saying it's, it's way an, it's worse. Yeah, but, but I agree with that instinctual aspect. I talked about that on my, my, one of my last shows with Ray was, discussing how this guy named Daryl Davis was an activist who um, essentially recruits people to leave the, the Ku Klux Klan. He's a black man. And the way he does it is he befriends them and humanizes himself to them to the point that they realize, man, these black people are not so bad. And then they leave the Klan and it works. Whereas getting up in a Klansman's face and calling him a racist and calling him a piece of shit, you know, it, it does the opposite. No, you're absolutely right. That it, yeah. You know, and, and that's at the core of what, why this activism doesn't work. And that's why, you know, it goes back to what I was telling you about that group that was radicalized. Because they're dumbasses. And, 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 and this is what, 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 I, what I actually, what I would challenge, what I would bring to the table here, is that rather than trying to play into the rationalization angle, like trying to argue against them, we need to actually play the other side of it. And we need to actually just call these people out as dumbasses because they don't understand humanity. And they're going to get their asses kicked. And we need to start talking to them like that. The old right. left needs to raise their voice. The old guys, the old women who've been at this shit for long enough need to get off their asses and stop being such cowards. They need to tell these little punk-ass kids, you're dumbasses. You're fucking right. things up. Right? I agree. Right? This is what we need. Otherwise, otherwise, the right is going to kick your fucking asses. And not just your asses. You're going to take humanity down a fucking nightmare, a far-right nightmare. Okay? You're not going to fucking win. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. You dumbass, right. punk-ass kid who doesn't understand history. Shut right. the fuck up. Right. That's what we need to do. That's what well, I'm bringing to the table. I, I'm right there and, with you. I, I, it, so I, I'm, I think that's what I have to bring. And it's been two hours. So I would say that that's my conclusion. <laughs> we need to have the old left needs to raise their bo- voice and act like the adults in the room, because you are. Because there's no other fucking adults in the room. The young left are a bunch of punk-ass kids. And they need the old left to stand up and say something. Okay? And, I and agree. you need to be a little bit aggressive. These guys are being aggressive to you. You need to be aggressive. You need to show them that you are the actual authority, that you don't have authority if you don't actually know history. 
If you don't know shit, if you're not willing to talk in, in terms of logic and reason, you don't have authority. Your dumbass opinion that it came from someone else doesn't mean shit. You're just going to get people killed. Right. Shut the fuck up and learn your history. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, and I hope that people are listening because at the end of the day, we're talking about something that in the long run is going to have serious consequences if they don't. Um, so the live it's part of the broadcast, serious consequences. I think it's still here, the recording, so we can cap this off. So um, I hope that, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to more content from you. You know, your uh, website is linked here on my uh the description for this episode and I hope that people who tuned in um, consider following the work that's coming from here because I think there needs to be another movement now within the left that's sensible you know that recognizes that we need to take back charge of what's going on and I agree that they're cowards and it's because of the cancel culture they're worried about that because these people will try to get you fired from your job they'll they'll do all kinds of stuff essentially to terrorize you um, you know, if you don't fall in line with them, yeah, and I think that's why people are quiet. Just shut the it. fuck up. We can we, we can we turn we can turn that shit around. The reality yeah. is, it's just it's just it's just the momentum of, momentum of cowardice that enables this shit. Really, yeah. I have no respect for it because honestly, this is not the whole fucking planet. This is just the United States and a bunch of cowards in the United States. Here in Dominica, we can talk how we want to. Black people and white people, we can talk about these things. And we don't talk about, like, Americans do. We're not in your fucking frameworks. You think you're so fucking elevated, you fucking academics talking from an American standpoint and acting like this is universal. It's not universal. The rest of the world is laughing at you, all of you, you dumbasses. <laughs> you're not achieving anything. Don't hold back, Aaron. Tell you're them how you really feel. Eurocentral, American-centric idiots. <laughs> right. The whole world is laughing at you, all of you. You think you're you think you're better because you're laughing at Trump? They're laughing at you too, you dumbass. <laughs> dumbasses. Oh. Get your fucking heads out of your asses. Right. The rest of the world is fucking diverse. It is not the equation that you learn at the university. Go fucking live in a poor country. Go work Dude, in a poor even, country. God, even just live in the poor neighborhoods. A lot of these kids who talk like this have never even been to the ghetto. You know, like I have a friend named Rob who pointed out that you get these college kids who think that they know what the ghetto is because they drove through it briefly to get to a rock concert or something. They've never lived there. They don't know what it's like to live in an environment where there's gunshots on a regular basis and you just get used to it. You know, they don't know what it's like to live in an area where the drug dealers run everything. You know, that's we didn't even talk about the defunding the police and abolishing the police nonsense because, you know, I've talked about that in other episodes, but it's like, they're not aware of that. Be the next episode. Yeah. Let's have that be the next. I'm all about it. We we talk about it from a different perspective. For sure. Because these people don't know what it's like to live in a place where there is, where the, none of that that keeps them safe is. Where there's no law. And if you're in a place where there is no law, you're going to have to learn like in Dominica, it's very different. Right? You have to take care of yourself. And right. you know what? A lot of these kids, they would finally fucking crying for the fucking police if you have to actually protect yourself. But this is the reality in a lot of the world. In right. the United States, it used to be the model where everybody thought that's where everybody could have peace and everything all taken care of. <sighs> There's videos in Mexico of the cartel actually has armored vehicles. <laughs> 
like the cartel has armored vehicles like our police do in the United States. So the Mexican organized military, you know, basically organized crime has their own military. You know, it, it's not like the power vacuum just evacuates just because you got rid of police and soldiers. But yeah, we can talk about that in another episode. But I have another friend family from we Somalia. An entire, we should have the entire topic. Yeah. But I do um, need to go. I, I should no go. problem. So do I. So thanks again, Aaron. I really appreciate you coming on. And thanks to everybody who tuned in. And uh, I look forward to uh, having that second conversation with you, maybe sometime next week if you're available. Okay, we'll schedule. All right. All right. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to V-Radio.